0: Why don't we um, bow our heads for prayer before we begin. I just want to ask the Lord to be with me in a special way. Father in heaven, again, dear Lord, I pray that you'll draw near to me. And I pray, Father, that you'll bless as we close this blessed Sabbath day with a special message of your love for mankind. Bless us to this end, Lord, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share something with you I think is um, very, very important. And something is so, it was so simple, yet it's so profound. And that's the simple concept of, um, of gospel, of the gospel. I really, I like to, when I think about, you know, for so long I always think, well, how is a person saved, you know? And he used to bother me for, for a long time. And uh, I, I just couldn't figure it out until I really began to study Romans. And Romans chapter 4, he goes on here and he asks a question in verse 3. He says, What saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for Righteousness. he's referring, he's making a statement to the first one there of chapter 4, where he said, what shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? Goes on to say, for if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. And so here Paul brings out the, he's referring to the justifying act of God, but then he, in bringing out the gospel, now Paul is going to use Abraham to illustrate how a person is saved. He's going to use Abraham as as the example of what happens and how a person is justified in the eyes of God. And he uses, as I say, the life of Abraham. He brings out Abraham. And one of the reasons why Paul brings out Abraham on this is because the fact that uh, Abraham... uh, One of the biggest problems that were happening with the Jews... Uh, back in his times, they believed that they were saved by works, the circumcision. There you'll find in Acts chapter 15, the first Jerusalem council. When they gathered together there in Jerusalem, and some of the people there, the leaders at that time, the Jews, and, uh, because they had still thought that the Mosaic law was vital to one's salvation, particularly circumcision. And certain things had to be done. And so Paul had to deal with that heresy, by the way, all uh, throughout his ministry. Uh, never was there a time when Paul was alleviated from that, that uh, heresy. He always dealt with that, uh, you know, the circumcision. And, of course, that's why he's always referring to when it says salvation by works. And here that's what he's referencing too. He's talking about was Abraham justified by works? And, of course, he's bringing this out in the aspect for the Jews to help them to see. And he's also trying to confirm the Gentiles on this truth. He said that if Abraham were justified by works, he would have something to glory about, wouldn't he? But he goes on in verse 4, says, Now unto him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now, here he's simply saying, if, if it were by work, well then, you will receive the reward. And what is the rewards of works? Why, well, you have to pay a debt. Don't you? And what is the debt that you have to pay? You know what it is? Death. Eternal death. Now, can you pay that debt? No, we can't. You see. And so, all the works in the world isn't going to pay the debt of your sins, and that's eternal death. He said, so for the person that works, he's going to have to pay a debt. You see? For the individual who's basing their salvation on on their works, you're going to have to pay a debt. But then he goes on, as I said, he, he flips the coin now, he goes to the other side, he goes on and says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So the individual that's not trusting in his works, but is simply having faith in what we'll talk in a moment, in the, what God has promised, that individual is made righteous. Because that's the reward of faith in God's promise. See, that's pay, that's, the, that, that's the reward. See, both times you're going to pay a reward. You're going to have to pay a reward. If you work by, by your works, or saved by your works, in other words, if you're trying at least to be saved by your works and so on, you have to pay, you're going to get a reward. You have to pay the debt. And those that believe and trust in Jesus, have faith in Him, they too will be rewarded. But they will be rewarded with the gift of righteousness. <clears throat> now, in his point in verse 5, I don't want us to lose the fact of the matter of something here. Let's not get confused. He says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth, what? The ungodly. The ungodly. Now, don't get the idea that you're justified while you're still in an ungodly state. Alright? That's not what Paul's talking about here. Please, let's let's keep our, our bearings in their proper setting. Alright? Let's not lose focus on this. Paul is not talking about that God will justify an individual while he's still in his ungodly condition, is still living in an ungodly state. Absolutely not. And I'm going to tell you why it can't be. All right? because in verse, chapter, verse uh, f- um, five he goes on his faith is counted for what? Righteous. All right, now watch when God justifies an individual, he declares him, listen to what I'm saying, he declares him to be righteous, right. There is a forensic declaration made. No question about it. No one can argue that point. But that's not all. Let's not leave... You see, it's always the one side of the coin they want to preach. They never want to flip the other side and give you the other, the other picture. You see? They give a, a part of the gospel. So, but there is a declaration made. Because, you see, your life record is kept in the books of heaven. And so God has to declare there with all your sins justified. He has to make a declaration. He has to write that down. Alright? So there is a declaration But now listen to me. When God justifies an individual, He declares him to be righteous. He declares him to be justified. Now, if God is going to declare you righteous, in order that His declaration is true, God has to do what? Exactly. Exactly. He has to make you righteous. Because can you imagine that God here makes a declaration that you are justified, you are holy, you are righteous, when in reality you're unholy, you're unrighteous, that you're, that you're ungodly, as it were. What would that make God to be? Exactly. But Paul tells us in Hebrews that God cannot lie. And just to show you that God does make a person righteous when He declares them to be righteous, turn with me to Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5. Now remember, justification by faith brings what? Righteousness, right now, he, may, he declares, he makes a declaration. Now, we're talking about God justifying the ungodly. Now, is it in, in a godly state while you're living in sin and, 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 and continuing in this ungodly state? And I say no. I say no. I say that when God declares an individual that he's righteous, he's justified, I say, and, and our brother is absolutely correct, I say, according to the Bible, I'm going to show you right now, he actually makes him what he declares him to be in order that He might be just and holy in His declaration. And in what He says. Now turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5, and I want to show you this. Look with me, please, in verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, For He hath made Him, for God hath made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Why? Why did He do that? That we might be what? Made. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him, in Christ. You see, when you're in Christ, you are made righteous. You see? So God, in His declaration, when He makes that forensic declaration there in the books of heaven and there in the courts of heaven, He makes you what He declares you to be. In order that his His declaration may be true. And so Paul is simply talking here when he's talking about in, in Romans that uh, that when he said just, uh, uh, to uh, justify the ungodly, he's not talking about justifying a man in his ungodly state while he's still ungodly in that sense. But he's simply saying, listen, friends, before you're justified, you were ungodly. <laughs> Why we have all fallen short and come, you know, sin and come short of the glory of God. So, and that's what he's talking about in Romans 3, if you read carefully, you know, it goes right on through, that, that there's none righteous. No, not one. Well, listen, before you come to God, friends, we're all ungodly. So God has to deal with us just where we are in our ungodly state. But it does not remain ungodly when he justifies you. Alright? We've got that straight? This is what Paul's talking about. So, because Dr. Desmond Ford tried to use that on us. Alright, so let's... Not fall into that trap. Alright? But uh, he'll justify the ungodly. And his faith is counted for righteousness. You see? There's the change from the ungodly state to the righteous state. Even as David also described the blessings of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness not without works. Saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now, watch what he does when Paul brings up the argument. Because he's, as I said before, he's talking about circumcision and all the rest because he had to deal with that problem all his ministry. Like we've got to deal with new theology throughout our, at least I've dealt with my ministry. I had to deal with it. I think I'll die if he has to deal with that ministry or deal with that theology out there. So I got a little bit in common with Paul, at least to some degree. And but here he's dealing with this argument. Now watch what he does. Watch his arguments. Watch how Paul's bringing this about. Now he's using Abraham as the example, and of course every Jew is going to cling to Abraham because they still believe. You see, at least back then they thought that. Why, as long as I'm the child of Abraham, well I'm saved. All right. So Paul says, all right, you hold Abraham so high, fine, and I'm going to use Abraham to show you how a man is justified in the sight of God. Now he goes on through. He says this. This blessedness, when uh, uh, comest, cometh, this blessing, blessedness, then upon the circumcision only. I start about the justifying act of God, right? He says, "Does this act of justification come upon the circumcision only?" I'm in Romans four. I apologize. Forgive me. Sorry about that. Apologize. Romans four. Forgive me. Uh, there in verse, uh, verse nine, cometh this blessedness. Then upon the circumcision only or upon uncircumcision also. Now watch. What, was there, what, was there, what were they saying? That you had to be what? In order to be what? Saved and justified and made righteous. Right? So Paul says, Now I'm going you this. This blessing I just described, he goes on, you know, it's about Abraham justified works and so on. He says, David talks about it too. He said, Now I'm going where does blessing come from? Does it come on the circumcision? Or does it come on uncircumcision Also. Now watch what he goes on. It says, "For we say that Abraham was reckoned, or I'm sorry, for we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for what? Righteousness. Righteousness. Now watch this. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or uncircumcision? When God made that statement to him, was Abraham circumcised? No, he wasn't. Whew. You can see what Paul did to the Jews. He, put there, he just really made a strong argument right there. He says, you like to hold Abraham up so high and you think you ought to be circumcised? And he says, all right, we'll talk about righteousness. We'll talk about it. And he goes on to describe, he says, how did Abraham receive this righteousness? Was it by faith or was it by works? He goes, well, it was by, it was by faith. He said, if it were by works, why, he would be a, a reward of the debt. <laughs> and they knew, well, he couldn't pay that. He said, well, it's by faith because faith it, it, God justifies the ungodly in that state, you see, and, and where he makes them righteous. Then he says, you see, David talks about this beautiful experience. And then he says, how does this come about? On circumcision or uncircumcision? And then he brings out Abraham was justified, made righteous while he was still uncircumcised. So Paul clearly drives home the point. He drives and believe me, to a Jew. See, if if, almost sometimes you have to put yourself in, a, in, a, in the Hebrew mindset. And really seriously consider what they're saying, because what goes on. Because once you see that kind of mentality, what's actually happening, you can see that these are real strong words. I mean, he's really preaching a strong message here. We kind of lose, you know. It's it's, it's a sad thing in one sense. It really is. It's a sad thing we're we're uh, we're not so much associated with the culture of, of the Hebrew people. It really is because we lose the really significance of the messages that Paul and other prophets preach. Because you remember, that they were, the Jew, they were Jews, and they were always looking things through, through the Jewish mindset of, of the gospel, you see. And that's how Paul had to deal with them. But Paul really used a strong, strong argument against them. Because they said what was of, of circumcision. That means it had to be of works, right? So Paul just simply turned the coin around. He used Abraham. Now everybody, all Jews knew Abraham was a righteous he was a man of God. They all knew that. No one there was ever going to question the fact that Abraham wasn't a righteous man. No one would dare say that. So Paul just simply utilizes that to his advantage. Knowing that the Jews had confidence and faith in Abraham for their salvation, he just simply now uses him as that example. And he illustrates that through Abraham, a man that Abraham was righteous before he was circumcised. So then therefore, how can you say to the Gentiles that they must be circumcised in order to be saved? When Abraham is the father of the faithful. So see, see, Paul really just slammed the door. And he put them in a position that they had to do one of two things. They had to deny Abraham. You see, they would have to deny Abraham. And, his, and the gospel plan given to him. Or they would have to admit that they're wrong. Or, or, or they would have to just simply you know, submit and say that we were wrong in that sense. Now they had one of two choices. And they weren't about to to to, to uh, deny Abraham as their father and all the rest. And they weren't about to do the other either. You see, they were stuck. But Paul put them in that reality. You see, friends, listen, the gospel is by faith in what God has promised. And I'm going to talk about that because now he's actually going to use the illustration. He's going to vividly, clearly detail the, the gospel plan here. You see, I believe the gospel... I if you want to type, put a title on this, you can say the gospel, gospel and a promise. Because I believe that is the gospel. And the gospel is nothing more than a promise that God made to mankind. The question is whether you believe it or not. You see, notice here, and I'm going to go on to illustrate this. He goes on to say um, uh, in verse 10, How was it then reckoned? How did he receive righteousness? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision. Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Now, every Jew knew that. But they had forgotten the significance of that. And Paul just really drove it in. Now he goes on to say this. And he received the sign of circumcision. Listen. Which was what? A symbol of what? The seal of righteousness of faith. You see, they had lost the true meaning of circumcision. They thought, well, as long as I just do this, well, I'm okay. But what it really meant was simply this. That it meant... That Abraham, or really the significance was that he was not to trust in his flesh to accomplish the promises of God. Did you catch that? Abraham trusted his flesh to bring forth the man-child, the promise, the promise of Redeemer, really, in a sense, because Isaac was, the through that promise, the Redeemer was to come. And so he used his flesh to try to accomplish the, the, the gospel plan uh, that God had given. But, God said, I'm sorry, Abraham, that's not the way it's done. And that's why God instituted circumcision. Do you know that? Had Abraham been faithful, a lot of Jews would have never had been to be partaker of circumcision. But God instituted circumcision because of Abraham's failure. And it was to remind the Jews that they were not to trust in their flesh for the fulfillment of the promises of God. What a lesson to learn, huh? What a price to pay. But he goes on, he says it here now in verse 11. He now, now, he's going to use circumcision. Now, watch what he does. He's going to use circumcision and put it in its proper place because the Jews had misunderstood the true significance of, of circumcision, right? So now, watch what Paul does. He's now going to take it down and show the Jews and the Gentiles. i shown everyone, but he's trying to now show them the true significance of it. He goes on to say this. And he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision. That's when he received it a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had yet been uncircumcised. In other words, when he received that that seal of circumcision, when he received it, it was still a, a sign, a seal of righteousness by faith which he had received before he was circumcised. You see? That's what he's talking about. That's what he brings out. And he goes on to this that he might be the father of all them that believe, both circumcised and uncircumcised. He said uh, that them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also, you see. He said the reason Abraham was righteous before he got circumcised, but when God gave him circumcision, that was the seal or a sign of the righteousness by faith that he had received before that. So Paul now brings in the true significance of, the, of circumcision, which the Jews totally lost sight of. So the don't, they don't understand they want it. Is. So Paul said, now look, here's what real circumcision is all about, what you forgot about. Here it is. Why, it's the sign of righteousness by faith. You see, he, and then he, it takes even a stronger argument because once he, he, he eliminates the, the process of circumcision, he already eliminates that then he rebukes them again in a sense because he's now telling them, you don't even have the right concept down. You don't even know what circumcision is all about. You see, I tell you, you know, when you read the argument, how Paul argument, or he, I don't want to say argument, but how he actually built his case. I mean, Paul, I tell you, is, is, is so delightful that when I like to study how he built his case because he, he uses arguments that are so powerful and so strong. He actually puts his... Uh, the, his opposition in such a tight corner that they can't even get out. Now, He's doing it in love. Now, let's face that. We know that. He's trying to save their souls. And that's the only reason why you and I, if we're, we come against opposition or someone who opposes, we ought to, I like to say, whittle. You know, whittle. You whittle a stick. Right? You just whittle away. Little here, little there. Is to save them, not to destroy them. God's not in the business of destroying man. He's in the business of saving man. But here, he, he, again, he was really strong, strong statements. And then in verse 12, he says, And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which had which he had been yet uncircumcised. So again, he brings up that he's the father of everybody, circumcised and uncircumcised. Those that live by what? Faith. You see, whether they're circumcised or uncircumcised, if they live by faith, Abraham is their father. And, he, and, and the reason why that God brings this out, that he's talking, or Paul brings this out, why he received the righteousness of God before his circumcision, and, and when he received the seal of circumcision, that was the, a memorial, as it were, the sign or seal of righteousness by faith. And Abraham had received that Uh, testifying that he he had had it also in the back, uh, before that. And so Abraham becomes the father of all in that sense. Now watch this. Why? Why did Abraham become the father of all? Of circumcised and uncircumcised, those that live by faith? He goes on to say this. For the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. You see, Abraham... Was to be the father of the world. You know, and in a sense, he's going to be because really, truly, all of us who live by faith, truly live by faith, are in, we are really children of Abraham. We inherit the promises of Abraham. And so, he becomes the father of all. But in here, he, he, what he brings out is simply this, that it came through how? How did he, how did he say? What did he say? He goes, look... He says, it was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. But it was through what? Alright. So, when God made that promise to Abraham, was it through the law of circumcision? Uh Uh-uh. No. He said it was through faith in the righteousness of God. And so again, he brings it, he tightens it up a little more in the arguments that he brings out. And he, keeps, he keeps hammering them. And I, I, we're coming to the point at I, which I, I love to dwell on. I just love to talk about this. Uh, now watch what he, goes, he does. Verse 14. For if they, which are of the law, be heirs, faith is made void. Right? And the promise made of none effect. You see, if the promise of redemption came through the law, you don't need faith. You don't need faith at all, do we? Do you? Of course not. What's faith. You just do it. Right? You just do it. And so therefore, the righteousness of God had its foundation through the law, if that were the case. But, He clearly indicates that that cannot be. It cannot be. And that's why He's talking about faith here. He brings that out. He says this. He said that the promise would be made of none effect. What would be the point of a promise? Because the promise, if I say, I promise you, you have to have faith. Right? If well, I say, I'm going to promise you, I'll give you a dollar. Well, you're going to have faith. you got to have faith in that. I'm going to give you a dollar. But they knew that Abraham had received the promise of redemption. So he said, now, see, he's keeps using these arguments on him. He says, no, he says, all right. He says, now, we all know Abraham received the promise, didn't he? Everyone would be right? <laughs> he said, Man, if it's of the law, <laughs> he said, uh, how could the righteousness, if the righteousness is, is, is of the law, then what is the use of the promise? The promise becomes of none effect. Doesn't work. You see. He said. So he's, so again, he's driving the point home. Now he's bringing in the promise aspect. Now watch what he does. He keep, now he's going to drive in this promise. Now listen. Now remember, it's the promise of what? Redemption. We're talking about the redemption, we're talking about justification. Then he goes on to say this, verse 15, Because the law worketh wrath, and where no law is, there is no what? (laughs) Now, verse 16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end. In other words, the end result of faith in God's grace. What's the end result? What is it? He goes on to tell you, To the end the promise might be sure to all the seed not to that only which is of the law, not of the circumcision, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. He's going to talk about He says, look, he can't be of the law because that would make the promise of none effect." He says, so it has to be by faith. And he goes on to say that those that have faith in God's grace, he said that the end result is the fulfillment of the promise. And he said in order that when this promise is fulfilled... All might be righteous, and all might be heir of this of the, of the of the promise of this, and then all be children of the seed of Abraham. So now he's, bringing, he, he's talking about this this promise. Now watch what he's doing. This pro, Now he actually quotes the promise in verse seventeen. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before whom, or before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which he which be not as though they were. Alright? He just quoted the promise that He gave to Abraham. Now, I like this point. I want you to listen. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. You'll be the father of all. Right? Now, watch what He says here. And verse, uh, verse 17, the second part, And calleth those things which be not as though they were now, was Abraham the father of all nations then? No, he wasn't. Now, listen to what I'm saying. God said, I'll make a promise to you, Abraham. I'll make you a father of all nations. And remember, that father of all nations, there was the promise of what? The, the child. Remember that? It was to come through that child, the lineage all the way through the child, right? <coughs> Isaac was called the promised child. Okay? Now, God told Abraham, He said, now Abraham, listen, I'm going to make you a promise. Said, I'm going to make you a father of all nations that through you the Redeemer shall come, and I'll promise you a child that will come. You see? Now listen. That's what he said. He said he'll call those things which be not as though they were. When God made that promise, that was as good as though it had already been done. Yet it had not been done. You see? In other words, God's promise has within it the actual power To fulfill and to do exactly what it says. In other words, when God makes that promise, the promise has within it the actual power to fulfill itself. Because God's Word is all-powerful. You see, how did God create this world? It says He spake. God's Word. Let there be light. And brother, that light didn't take three seconds. As soon as He said... Light because the Bible goes on the psalmist said, The entrance to thy word gives what? Light. At the moment he spoke, it happened. And so God's promises have a the, the actual power within itself, that word has the generating power to do exactly what it says, even though it has never been done yet. And so that's what's talking about that promise. Abraham, had not, at that time, had not been the heir of all, all nations, or the, the father of all nations. He had not yet received the child, had he? But God gave the promise. And that's why he said, he'll call things as though they, which, uh, which are not as though they were. And in other words, the promise of God is so sure, powerful, and so sure, fulfilling, that even though it didn't, come to, it didn't exist at that point in time, it was as good as though it had existed. And that's how powerful and sure the word of the promise of God was. And still is, by the way. Now watch what he does. Now he brings in. He's talking about the promise. Now he's going to illustrate how Abraham actually received righteousness by faith. And that's how powerful and sure the word of the promise of God was. And still is, by the way. Now watch what he does. Now he brings in. He's talking about the promise. Now he's going to illustrate how Abraham actually received righteousness by faith. All right, Based on the promise that had called forth something, had declared it to be, as the, and yet it had not been. All right Now watch. Goes on, he, he built his case on this, now he's talking about the promise of God. Now, there's two things involved. Abraham and the promise of God, right? We've got those two things involved. He's already clearly wiped out the argument that it's by works. He's just totally ran that into the ground. Alright? Now he's actually going to illustrate it. The promise of God and the and and Abraham. Look at this in verse 18. Who? Now who's that? That's Abraham, actually. That's of course. That's there he's talking about. Who against hope believed in hope. Now why did he say that? He was beyond ease to bear a child. And, and so was Sarah. Hope against hope. And he said, Lord, <laughs> listen, you know, he was thinking, this can't be. But you see, that's why in verse 17, he says, he calls those things which, uh, which are not as though they were. He says, I'm going to give you a child. There been No child? There's been no child. I said, I'm going to give you one. Don't worry. It's here. It, it, that child's there. I promised you. That, 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 and my word says it's going to happen. So it's as good as though you could bank on it, you see. And though it had, never, it, it had not been fulfilled, had it? No, in reality, it had not yet. But God's promise is as good as sure. And now he goes on, he goes on, he says, hope against hope. Abraham had hope against hope. He realized, he recognized that then he was beyond age. He couldn't conceive it. He couldn't do it. You see, God was teaching Abraham how to live by faith. Now watch this. That he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, that's the promise, so shall thy seed be. God brought Abraham in such a position where he couldn't even, that it was beyond Abraham's comprehension and beyond uh, Abraham to even try in his own fleshly nature to fulfill that promise. He knew it was useless to use his flesh. God brought him to that point. You see, God has to bring you and I to a point where we totally surrender all to Him. Where we don't rely on one ounce of our fleshly, earthly nature to fulfill the promises of God. And he brings, as I say, that the reason he thought, did this was to bring Abraham to the fulfillment of that promise that he'd be the father of all nations both circumcised and uncircumcised, those that live by faith. Now watch this in verse 19. And be not weak in faith. He considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old and neither yet the deadness of Sarah wound. Now look, he was 100 and Sarah was almost 100 herself. Now I tell you, I mean everybody knew it was beyond Abraham to fulfill this promise now. There's no way, you see. So God brought him to that point in his life. In order that the promise that God gave to him might be fulfilled through him. But that it might be fulfilled not by works of the law, but by faith in the righteousness of Christ. So he goes on, he started talking about it, and he says, "Man, he said he, 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 hope against hope, and he recognized. You see, Paul or uh, uh, Abraham recognized he was beyond the age. He realized Sarah was beyond the age. They came to the recognition they couldn't do it. You know, before you and I could ever be justified, we have to come to the recognition, I can't be justified in myself. I can't justify myself. We've got to come to that point where God, uh, like like the servant of the Lord says she, she, that God has to lay the glory of man in the dust. That's what the point has to come for us. Where our glory is just laid in the dust. We're nothing. We've got to reach that point. If you don't reach that point, you'll never be justified. You can never be justified with God until you come to the point of totally, completely, to the absolute point where you don't trust yourself and trying to fulfill God's promises in and of yourself. He goes on this. Verse 20, But he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he, God, was able also to perform. So where was Abraham's faith in? Yeah, exactly. And in the promise that he made. See, Abraham had nothing anymore to rely in, did he? No, he was totally dependent now on the promise of God that God now would fulfill for him what he himself could not do. And this he's talking about justification by faith. I hope you realize this. We're talking about the gospel. And Abraham recognized he couldn't do it. He'd gone beyond the age. He couldn't make it. And now hope against hope, he staggered not at, at unbelief, at the promise of God through unbelief, but rather now he had faith in God. And he, he was really simply saying, God, he, you know, he fell in the arms of the Lord and said, God, fulfill the promise to me. Give me my promised child. And I love verse 21 as it said, and being fully persuaded. Now man, listen, we need to be fully persuaded. Can't know half and half and half. My mother often says, you know, can't be this, uh, come see, come sigh. Right? Can't be that come see, come sigh. Can't do that. It's gotta be all the way, it can't be anything. He says, listen, and being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he was able also to perform. Oh, brethren, where do we, sisters, are we fully persuaded that God can fulfill what he has promised? Mm-hmm. See, that we're talking salvation, we're talking gospel tonight. We're talking justification by faith. Unless we come to the point where we're fully persuaded that God is able to do what he says, you'll never be justified unless you reach that point you can't there's no other way he goes on to say this and therefore on the basis of all this and therefore it was imputed to him what was impu- what was it what was therefore it that's right therefore it was imputed to him for what? Righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone, praise the Lord, that it was imputed to him, but for us also. Now, Paul, at this point, he's now going to lasso everything up. What he's just stated now he's going to draw in and now he's going to make the application you know, presently to you and me, that kind of a thing, you see. He's already, he's already uh, uh, done away with the concept that's salvaged by works and through circumstances. You see. He's nailed that completely, that argument down. He draws out the promise of God with, with Abraham in this relationship. Now he goes on to illustrate how Abraham, through faith, had received the righteousness of God. And that was through the promises that the Lord had given to him. And therefore, the fulfillment of that righteousness came through the promise of God. Because you see what God has, has promised, He is able also to perform. And that's why he said he was fully persuaded that what God had promised, He was able to perform also. Now watch this: but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on Him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. And you know, and, 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 and let me just finish reading in Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, you see, let's keep reading because the conclusion he's writing. Therefore, on the basis of all this, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, friends, how are you and I saved? Is it by works? No, I'm sorry, my friends. You are not saved by your works. How? You are saved. In the promises of God. You see, the gospel is a promise. That's what it is. That's what the gospel is. Now, did Paul negate the fact of, of works? Did he just totally wipe that away? No, because let me say something to you. One of the reasons I believe he used Abraham as an illustration, he recognized that he was he could not do it. But God said that he would conceive or that Sarah would conceive a child, right? But Abraham had to cooperate with God in that promise. Amen? You see, this is where works come in. It's cooperation with God. But he had to come to the point first where he was totally and completely submitted to God. Nothing reserved. Coming to the point of recognition in his own mind that he had nothing in himself to fulfill the promises of God. That it had to be solely of God and him alone. That what God had promised, he was going to perform. Because Abraham had faith in what God promised. And he was fully persuaded, as Paul says. Fully persuaded. And when he did that and said, Lord, I believe and trust in what you've promised, you're going to do. And then he needed to act On what God had promised. Therefore upon cooperation and acting on God. The promise was fulfilled. Because he had the faith in God. And so when Abraham and Sarah brought forth that child. It proved and showed and testified that they had righteous works. They had the works. But Paul is talking about justification. Upon upon which platform does justification rest? Upon faith or upon works? It rests upon faith. Justification can only rest on faith. But remember, what God declares a man to be, He makes it. He declares them to be. The works are what God makes you. You see? Justification by faith. God makes you righteous. And righteousness is what? Right doing. Your works. My prayer is tonight that you and I might be fully persuaded in our minds that what God has promised, He is able also to perform in our lives. The Gospel in a promise. Do you believe in the promise? Let us pray. Why don't we kneel together? Let's kneel together. Father in heaven, Thank you for the precious promises that you've given to us. For the promise that you would save us from our sins. O Lord, tonight we we come before thee and surrender all to thee. We ask that you'll come into our lives and minds and hearts. That what you have promised, Lord, you'll fulfill in us. To do and to will and to to do of your good pleasure. Thank you so much for your Bible, Father. Thank you for the written word. Thank you for the spirit of prophecy. I'm so thankful you've given us the gift. I pray, dear Lord, that none of us here will ever harden our hearts against the testimonies of the Lord, but that we will soften soften our hearts under the Holy Spirit and humbly walk with our God. Bless us now. Thank you for the blessed Sabbath day. Keep us, dear Lord, and bless my brothers and sisters here. Watch over them, Father, and keep them as my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.